Well, I want to talk today about, about uh, migration. It ten tends to be rather a neglected area in demography for reasons which I'll um, describe and expand on later on. It is, however, becoming uh, really very important um, as the, the major uh, uh, factor in population dynamics in rich countries. Uh, and this is something relatively new um, and uh, to which demographers perhaps haven't properly uh, uh, adapted themselves yet. <coughs> so what I want to talk about is... Um, Migration in the broader uh, context of demographic thought and demographic analysis, um, the importance of migration or the non-importance of migration in population change uh, and, and various other things, the difficulties of migration theory, which are um, great. You may think that um, uh, fertility on, on migration is confused and, and indecisive. Um, wait till you hear about migration theory, and then you'll think that um, uh, fertility analysis is really quite straightforward. Um, I want to talk also indescriptively about the process and diversity of migration in, in, in the modern world and the volume of migration, just to give you some idea about its magnitude, its trend, uh, where it comes from, where it might be going in the future, um, to talk about also its consequences, demographic, uh, economic, um, and ethnic, uh, which is an awful lot to get through in 50 minutes, so I better get cracking uh, without further ado. Um, one of the first difficulties, and I, I'm sorry to begin with difficulties, but it's, it's important to, um, uh, to give some health warnings about migration. One of the great difficulties is the data. Um, on the whole, and generally speaking, in the developed world anyway, data on births and deaths are, are pretty good. Um, uh, very, very high uh, coverage, 99 point something percent coverage of births and deaths, um, usually collected with all sorts of fairly reliable information about, about date, location, age of mother, uh, circumstances of that kind. With migration, it's different. And that's because migration is so much a more complicated business. It's not just the, the convenient, once-for-all biological beginning points and end points of getting born and dying which everyone only does once, um, well, with one or two exceptions, perhaps. Um, uh, with migration, uh, it's quite different. With migration, you do it many times. Um, it, it, it happens at enormous volume. Uh, there are over 100 million passenger movements into and out of the UK uh, every year, of which some proportion uh, are migrants in the demographic sense of the word, but the great majority are not. Sifting out the ones of demographic interest, those who are coming for a long time, intending to stay for a long time, those who are leaving uh, for a long time, intending to be away for a long time, is very difficult. And this is true of, of, of all countries in the world. And, of course, people also... Um, fundamentally only get born and die for other specific reasons. For migration, there's a whole range of reasons why people move um, uh, from all sorts of different places and, and uh, different places where they go to as well. So it's a much more heterogeneous process uh, than the, the, the firm biological beginning and end points of birth and death with which demographers tend to feel rather more at home. So first of all, um, so, some, some moans about data. As you see here, um, first of all, as I tried to expand briefly a few seconds ago, it is rather a fuzzy category, ill-defined, variable, uh, but present in enormous volume. Um, the, the data on migration, although attempts are being made to har harmonize them via the European Union, via, via various international conferences organized by the United Nations and other bodies, um, the definition of migration and the way that it's counted um, still depends very much upon national legal procedures. Um, migration in and out of a country... Uh, in, in the long term is a process which most countries govern by means of laws with varying degrees, of course, of, of reliability and precision. 
those laws differ between countries because countries have different views about the place of migration uh, in their national life, in their economy, and all the rest. Some try to restrict it, some try to encourage it, at least in, in, in respect of particular kinds of streams and particular kinds of people. This generates lots and lots and lots of different uh, international, uh, 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 national rather, laws about who may enter, uh, who, who may leave, even uh, under what circumstances they may stay. Uh, harmonizing these data has not been easy. It is getting better. Uh, but it's still very far from being perfect. Um, I, I mentioned that the, the processes of migration were, were, were very diffuse. People enter and leave for a whole lot of reasons, for, for labor, uh, for, uh, as asylum seekers, um, as spouses, as children, as dependents, as students, uh, all sorts of reasons for, for leaving and, and coming. Uh, and these are not necessarily correlated with each other. Two particular examples. The first thing is, when you see migration data uh, uh, presented to you in, in, in neat tables by Eurostat or some other body, um, these migration data are usually not actually migration data at all. Um, they are not, for the most part, people being counted in or counting out uh, as they enter or leave the borders of the country concerned. For the most part, they are derived from population registers of the kind which are common uh, in, in continental Europe and, and uh, do not exist in Britain. Um, um, and the migration is derived from from a comparison of the register of foreigners in one year and the register of foreigners in the other year, on, in the belief and assumption that those who enter the country legally will register uh, on, the, on the foreigners' register, those who leave will deregister, uh, and the difference is going to be net migration. There are also direct counts of, of those coming in, those being given a legal leave to enter. Um, the trouble is that most countries don't restrict emigration. The communist countries did until 1989. Uh, certain other authoritarian dictatorships uh, f forbid their citizens to leave. Most free democratic countries do not forbid anyone to leave except criminals. Um, and therefore, counting in is, being is, is done accurately according to laws about admission and settlement. Counting out tends to be very much more feeble. Uh, so, so therefore, we have gross inflows based on counts. We have net flows based upon comparison of registered data. Um, and of course, for, for demographic purposes, it's often the net flows, the difference between people coming in and people going out, which has the effect upon population size, population age structure, and also on the economy. Is that which we're most interested in and that which we tend to have least of all. Secondly, um, <coughs> if one's looking not at the flow of migrants, but at the so-called stock, I don't like using that name, name it rather suggests that one One's engaged in the grocery trade, but that is, that is the term of art in migration. The stock of migrants is the number of people uh, of migrant origin, born overseas, living uh, in a country at a particular time. Estimating that, which of course is also important, as well as the flow, is difficult because of the process of naturalization. Um, Generally speaking, um, countries are interested in counting foreigners rather than immigrants in terms of their population. That is to say, the, those who are um, uh, non-citizens compared with those who are citizens, uh, irrespective of, of where they were born. In the past, naturalization, the acquisition of, of citizenship by, by migrants, tended to be a, 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 a rather slow process and was a, 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 a consequence of having been set, settled peacefully in a country for many years, having adapted to that country, speaking its language, understanding its laws and so on, uh, and not a very easy process, particularly in, in the German-speaking countries where the Jus Sanguinis was the principal um, 
um, and where it was possible to be born in that country of foreign parents but not be a citizen because the, solely, uh, the, the, the right of uh, citizenship arising out of birthplace did not apply. Um, that is changing, but it, it has, has meant that there's been some, 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 uh, some alteration about the relationship between migration uh, on the one hand and foreign citizenship on the other. More recently, um, naturalization, the granting of citizenship, has been used as a kind of, not as it were as a reward for integration, but as a means to integration, has been greatly accelerated. What this tends to mean is that in some countries, the pace of naturalization has been so great that it is about the same as the, pa the pace of migration. So even though the number of migrants entering a country each year may be very great, the total stock of, of foreigners um, remains constant uh, because so many of the migrants are, are naturalized very rapidly. And you may, of course, feel this is a perfectly right and proper thing to do, but it does mean there's a, a growing mismatch between estimates of the number of, uh, of, uh, of, of foreign population, uh, foreign origin population based upon citizenship on the one hand, and, and estimates of that based upon migration on the other. Um, here's a, 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 a not untypical case from the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, which has a population register, like so many continental countries, it's possible to work out um, uh, from the register where people were born and where their parents were born, uh, that, that is to say whether they, they are immigrants or the children of immigrants, as well as whether they are citizens or not. The, the orange line at the bottom is the, the, the datum normally cited uh, when you look up Eurostat for, for foreign population, um, and that's often taken to be the same as immigrant population. As you see, the foreign population in the Netherlands has been hovering around um, 600,000 um, ever since uh, about 1992 or so um, and is not showing any upward trend. If you look at the number of people uh, born abroad, uh, which, is, um, uh, first, which, which is the red line, you'll see, in fact, it's been increasing constantly, but lots and lots of them have been naturalized. Uh, the, the foreign population in the Netherlands um, is about 1.6 million, not 600,000. If you look at the foreign origin population, that is to say the population which the, which the Dutch categorize on the basis of, of, of the background of parents as well as of immigrants, then this is the total here. It's about uh, um, 3.4 million, um, and that's out of a population in the Netherlands of about 17 million people. So it's a very substantial uh, proportion of the total, about 20%. And this is not an indication of the number of people of foreign birth or foreign origin in the Netherlands or in Sweden or in France or in Britain. Very important to realize that the salience of migration has varied hugely over the course of time. Um, in the beginning, we were all migrants, migrants uh, in uh, the short term and migrants in the long term, because, of course, until about 10,000 years ago, all our ancestors were hunters and gatherers. They had no fixed abode, a uh, fixed um, broad territory, uh, for sure, over which they would tend to wander. Uh, no uh, settled home because um, hunters and gatherers, with very, very few exceptions, as you will know very well from anthropology, um, tend to exhaust the resources of the, their local area within a week or two weeks or, or a month, then move on somewhere else uh, within a very, very wide area, eventually coming back uh, to, to that first place uh, once, um, uh, once game, once roots, once berries have had a chance to regenerate in, in one, two or many years uh, later on. So migration is an essential survival strategy, not only for all early human populations over the greater part of our, of our existence, but also, of course, uh, as a, a survival strategy for most animal populations. Animals migrate about. Sometimes the migrations are well known uh, in animals from the point of view of moving to Africa um, for, for, the, for, for the winter, as uh, swifts and, uh, and, and swallows do. Uh, uh, otherwise, it, it's much more localized. But it, it is normal. Migration is a normal state of affairs for, for early humans and for, and, and, and for um, um, animals. 
Another slightly different kind of migration, which has been of enormous importance, is a kind of once-for-all colonization invasion migration. Um, whereby um, the, the, the world was populated by, by human beings starting, as we all know, out of Africa uh, in two waves, one of Homo erectus, one of Homo sapiens, uh, our lot, um, as it were, um, and then succeeded by other kinds of colonization later on, which I will, which I will uh, uh, point to. Large-scale movements of people of a kind of once-for-all kind um, were intermittently characteristic of, of human history and dominated it to some extent right until the 15th century, something which is now and more or less not seen anywhere in the world, but this so-called focal Wanderung period, um, which extended up to the 15th century, if, if you include the Mongols and the Turks, um, was powerful in changing cultures and also the, the origins of population of huge areas of the world. And if you like, it continued into the 19th century, if, if you include in that uh, the enormous migrations of Europeans out of Europe into the Americas, uh, into the Antipodes and, and elsewhere. Um, uh, well, which still continues, which, which, was, which was primary uh, in the 18th and 19th century. And what this leads to, of course, is globalization. Globalization of people, globalization of diseases, perhaps eventually, through different processes, globalization of culture as well. But globalization is a very, very ancient process. It's been going on for, for um, 30,000 years. It is not something which is new. Oh, just uh, an example of some of our early uh, migrant ancestors. Um, this is the only, I promise you, picture of a naked lady I shall show in the entire course of lectures. Um, here are some recent, uh, more recent migrants that the Bushmen of, of, of Botswana, the Kung San, um, uh, now, alas, forced to settle down and wear trousers. But uh, this is a pic picture of them uh, in their natural uh, hunting habitat with their, frankly, rather pathetic bows, which are uh, uh, equipped, thank goodness for them, with, with poison tips, as I'm sure you all know. This is the conventional diagram of this great colonization of the world population out of Africa, starting perhaps 130,000 years ago, extending to various different parts of the world at different points in time. The estimates of the, of the time period by which this happened um, are, of course, subject to, to modern research and revision. This is now thought to be rather older than 13,000 years, uh, that older than 20,000 years. There's some evidence, there's uncertainty about what went on in Australia but clearly earlier than in the Americas. Um, and before then, there were no Homo sapiens in those areas at all. It's a completely new uh, pattern of, of settlement with huge consequences, as we all know, for, for population, uh, ecology, uh, and all the rest. This still, if I can add a footnote, this still leaves traces in the genes. Um, you, will, you will know, uh, I'm sure, from, uh, from Christian Capelli and others, um, that it is still possible to trace uh, the evidence for uh, these settlements of Europe progressively over time by looking at the gene frequency distributions of contemporary modern living human populations. These gene frequencies are, are of no social importance uh, of any kind, but they do um, uh, give a shadow of the past, um, showing how, how a population of, of, of Europe um, uh, extended itself in this uh, uh, north-westerly uh, direction, starting from, from uh, the Middle East and Anatolia. It's even possible, um, if, you, if you look at the, the, the material in, in sufficient detail, to reconstruct the map of Europe solely using uh, this evidence. On the left, you see um, the, uh, a diagram of the, of the first two principal components of, a, of the analysis of a great deal of genetical data gathered from lots and lots and lots of different human populations in, in Europe. They're all labeled. You probably can't see. This is IT for Italy. This says ES for Spain. Uh, this says... Uh, HR for Hungary, this says um, uh, IE for Ireland. 
that's where the individual came from, from which the sample was taken. Uh, and, and this is where they're located on these two principal components, solely on the basis of statistical evidence of the gene distribution. So as you can see, it does somewhat replicate the map. Um, this is the same color coding of the map itself. Um, here is Spain in purple. This is where most of the Spaniards end up. Um, here is uh, Ireland in red, and, and uh, this is where uh, most of the Irish end up, uh, and so on. So it's still a very considerable interest from a genetical point of view, even though it doesn't have any uh, social significance at all. Once upon a time, uh, there was a European Union, uh, which um, extended over, as you see, much more than the present European Union, although if, if uh, Europhiles have their way, then the European Union will, of course, include Turkey and, uh, and, and uh, the, the, southern, the northern shores of, of, of Africa and so on. Um, and that is an example of, of something which was not so much created by migration, but by military conquest and, and, and control, but was, dis was disrupted uh, by the migration processes that, I've, that I'm about to, to talk about uh, in the course of, of this lecture. Because this is um, the Roman Empire as uh, around about 120 AD. This is the Roman Empire uh, about 300 years later. The eastern part, often neglected, still going strong, and going strong, although in diminished form, for another 1,000 years. Um, based on Constantinople, the Western Roman Empire fractured, fragmented, then under the control of, of, of other non-Roman uh, 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 authorities, deriving from populations like the Ostrogoths, the Visigoths, the Vandals, um, and, and many, the Lombards, the Franks, the Teutons, and various others, carving up Europe uh, in this way. Not replacing or destroying the original populations, um, although the numbers did indeed go down, but certainly changing their culture radically, changing their population mix, uh, and uh, that certainly wasn't the end of the story. And if I was to start on that story, um, it would go on for a long time, because um, uh, the risk of caricaturing myself and sounding like 1066 and all that, a lot of history at this time was indeed um, a history of successive waves of people who were called barbarians, sometimes it seems to me with some justice. One, oh, is that visible? Yeah, it is. One small, even smaller footnote, which I hope will excuse. This doesn't wipe out uh, local differences. Um, this is a, a map, uh, put, or two maps, put together by, by Longley and his colleagues at uh, University College London, um, showing the distribution of surnames. Uh, you, you look up your own surnames on Longley's uh, what, uh, what, uh, website and see where people with your surname are, are geographically concentrated. This is a geographical concentration of an, a surname which happens to be um, derived from a unique place name in Lancashire. That place name is Ramsbottom. Now, um, First point here is Ramsbottom uh, as a place name has nothing to do with rams and nothing to do with bottoms. Uh, rams is the old-fashioned word for wild garlic, still occasionally used. Bottom uh, is uh, uh, a word of uh, Norse origin meaning valley. Uh, so Ramsbottom means valley of the wild garlic, not something more comic. Anyway, uh, this is where most of the Ramsbottoms were in 1881. And this is a surname originating probably um, certainly in the early Middle Ages and possibly earlier on than that. These are the Rams bottoms, even in 1998. Th these are the most powerful concentrations. You would find them all over the place, but still uh, remarkably concentrated, um, although diffusing, despite uh, uh, one and a half millennia, or certainly one millennium, uh, of that place name originating in one small spot uh, somewhere around there. So, so not everything gets wiped out by the process of migration and history. There was a time, much about 30 years ago, when... Uh, Democrats didn't pay much attention to migration. Uh, the illustrious journal, Population Studies, 
under the uh, uh, managing editorship of, of, of the illustrious Eugene Grebenik, um, on the whole refused to take papers on migration. It was thought of as an unsuitable subject for demography, best left to geographers and other such folk. Um, this has all changed, not the least because, of course, of the enormous importance of migration uh, as, as its pattern has changed. This neglected two things. First of all, it neglected the very important paper by Kingsley Davis and followed up by others, which pointed out that migration, as I was trying to suggest right at the beginning, was a very important element of flexible response to demographic change. In other words, um, that if population started to grow um, in some way which was, which was causing difficulties, then there were three options, not two. Not only could you die as a consequence of the population pressure, not only could you reduce your birth rate, which of course was the, 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 the normal pattern assumed to be the case uh, in the demographic transition, but also you could migrate, and people often did migrate, and this was part of a repertoire of responses, um, which tends to be neglected uh, for various reasons uh, in demographic thought, and still is, I think. Um, migration was relatively minor once the, the, the great movement of peoples was over by the 16th century um, between settled states at peace with each other uh, uh, in Europe. And that's one reason why it, it tended not to, be, um, uh, uh, not to be studied very much. What really mattered, the, the big actors, were birth rates and death rates, particularly birth rates, particularly the contrast between the two in the demographic transition. In the demographic transition, enormous uh, rates of population <laughs> growth arising because of the, of the prior decline of the death rate compared with the birth rate. Um, migration did take place, on the whole, it was out of Europe, not into Europe, and therefore it tended to be ignored. However, what the demographic transition in Europe did was uh, in generating large numbers of, much larger numbers of people than previously had existed there, um, it facilitated outflows uh, to the rest of the world. These outflows, of course, had started in, in, in 1492, um, but uh, accelerated to enormous levels by uh, the end of the 18th and the 19th century. About 54 million Europeans are believed to have left Europe between 1815 and 1914 uh, to live elsewhere. Uh, a lot of them in the Americas, but also in other parts the world as well. Now, of course, for every migration flow, there's always a counterflow. Some of those people came back. We don't know how many, maybe as many as a third of those who came back. Some have gone back again. Um, it wasn't an absolutely fixed business. Migration never is, hence partly its difficulty. Nonetheless, an enormous outflow, which um, um, may have been rather ignored in terms of demographic analysis and, and interest until recent times, but had a huge impact, of course, on the populations uh, into which um, those Europeans moved. Um, typically, populations in North and South America have much simpler culture or, or much less resilient culture, highly vulnerable to European diseases, vulnerable to European military prowess. Uh, in Australia, um, in, in, in North and South America, enormous population losses. Uh, the, the matter is still controversial and, 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 uh, and somewhat heated, um, but it's thought that the population of, of, of the Americas was reduced to maybe 10% of its previous level among the indigenous population, even though the, uh, the, the European population, of course, expanded very rapidly. So um, um, not to be ignored if you were in, living in that part of the world. As far as theory is concerned, I hardly know where to start because there's a lot of it about um, and it would take really a, a, a couple of lectures even to, even to touch, scratch the surface properly. 
Much migration theory is quite properly um, devised by economists using uh, um, e economic considerations and assuming that, e that, that economic um, pressures and uh, economic advantages are the primary motivation of migration, which may well not be the case. In fact, I think it clearly is not the case, despite its importance. Essentially, the, the, the idea is that, that insofar as there is free movement or easy movement from one population to another, that migration will take place um, if uh, wages in the receiving country are higher than wages in, in the sending country. Country, um, if the, um, um, uh, the, there is an abundance of capital in the receiving country and a shortage of capital in, 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 the, in the sending country, and that migration will, will, will take place between the two until these things are equilibrated, where, where the availability of capital uh, and the level of wages are about the same in both places. Under those circumstances, uh, net migration anyway will, will, will cease uh, and population flows will come to an end, and population change therefore will come to an end. Well, that sort of works, but it, 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 there are so many exceptions to it that it's, um, um, it's not a very reliable guide to predicting migration or, or to analysing it. One has to think of a number of other things, that the, the way in which labour markets can become segmented between jobs for immigrants and jobs for, for natives, uh, the, the way in which um, uh, migration can be a household financed business. The costs of migration uh, are, are not negligible. Um, very often mi migration is regarded in poor countries as a kind of investment into which the whole family and other members of, of Kin, perhaps, or even villages, will, will invest uh, money in, into a migrant in the expectation that a migrant will send back remittances from the very much higher wages uh, which he can uh, earn in, in the richer country to which he is moving, for example. On top of that, um, uh, given that uh, most large-scale migration over the last several decades has been from poor countries to rich ones, and given that most of those poor countries uh, are countries of families' culture, where kinship is important, family size large, um, household structure complex, um, there, is, there is naturally a, a tendency once, once individuals have moved from one country to another one, from a poor country to a rich one, um, from a, a more familist country to a more individualist country, uh, for that person to, to, to seek uh, to bring um, their relatives across, uh, to marry someone of, of origin of, of in that country, uh, therefore of dependable culture, uh, and not of the um, uh, different alien culture into which they've moved and so on, that generates very large uh, uh, volumes of continual um, network-based chain migration, uh, cumulative causation, as Doug Massey uh, calls it, who is one of the great theorists of, of of, uh, of, of migration theory, um, which, which, can, which in theory can go on and on and on and on uh, with, with more people arriving, generating more flows and more people arriving and generating more flows. Um, it does eventually, uh, 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 it, it seems, come to an end, but certainly hasn't come to an end so far. And over the last some few decades, most um, movement uh, in, into European countries has been um, arising out of, uh, out of dependence, spouses, uh, new, new spouses uh, and existing spouses, children and all the rest, uh, not so much in labour migration. That was earlier on, um, and although it continues, it has been added to by this enormous uh, impetus from, from a chain migration uh, arising out of family and, and kin connections. There are also other important factors uh, which we have to keep in, 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 into, a, in, into a, um, a consideration. One of the reasons, of course, why these disparities arise in the first place is because of the historically unequal um, pace for development of economic growth in different parts of the world and of population growth in different parts of the world. If all the world had grown rich more or less at the same time, if the demographic transition had not taken place first of all in the West and, 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 and later on um, outside uh, Europe and the Western countries, 
then these migration flows uh, would, have been, would have been very much more modest and there have been uh, of the kind that one sees all the time between countries of roughly equivalent uh, dem demographic characteristics and roughly equivalent economic status. Geographical proximity matters a lot as well. It's not just a question of you can't um, vanish the effects of, of distance. Thus, uh, in earlier times anyway, um, most European migrants into Britain came from Ireland. Most um, <coughs> European migrants uh, into Sweden uh, came from Finland, which is next door and was indeed part of, of uh, uh, Sweden at one time, just as Ireland was part of the UK uh, at one time. These political historical connections are very important. That's why, um, uh, looking rather further afield, migrants into, into to, um, in, into France in recent years have tended to come from French colonies in Africa and from the neighboring um, uh, countries on the, uh, the northern shore of, uh, of uh, North Africa, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, which were once French colonies. Uh, you can think of many other examples, I'm sure. State policy must not be ignored. Migration does not take place in a policy vacuum. Uh, there are um, all countries, almost all countries, maintain uh, controls on migration, and some maintain controls on emigration as well. Um, uh, the, the, um, these are of varying effectiveness and change from time to time in rather an erratic way according to the unpredictable outcome of elections. For example, um, in, 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 uh, in Britain recently, in 1907, uh, 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 the, the question of migration hardly featured in the, um, in the, um, the general election of 1997 that brought Mr. Blair to power. Within two or three years, um, the Blair government had radically changed the migration policy away from being a restrictive one uh, into uh, being a much more per permissive one believing that economic growth uh, and, and social change of a beneficial kind would happen uh, if migration could be expanded, uh, with the consequence of a very considerable uh, increase in, in flows which was not forecast or expect, expected by anyone. And the reversal in, in 2010, of course, has brought uh, the coalition government to power, which seeks to control that migration more than was the case in the past, with what success we will see uh, in due course. Also very important are the post-war revolutions in transport, in information, and in rights. Transport and information, which, which created a possibility previously non-existent of people moving from, uh, from, from South Asia, uh, from remote parts of Africa, from all over the world uh, into a Europe which was previously cut off effectively uh, by the, the cost of transport and the, the weakness of information. On top of that, of course, the enormous uh, increase in consideration for human rights arising out of the horrors of the Second World War, which binds together countries by the, through the European Court of Human Rights, which you heard about in our papers today, um, uh, to, to, to undertake to respect uh, uh, the right of, 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 uh, uh, to, to family um, and and various other rights of migrants, which has greatly restricted the powers of most European countries in, in what they can do with their own domestic migration policy. Here are some of the examples of diversity in migration. Um, this is a graph from the OECD. It's 2003. It's not up to date, but it, it shows you how diverse things can be. Here they have uh, broken up... Uh, Gross migration flows, this is inflow only, not net flow, into, into three major components. Um, in, in pale blue is, are asylum seekers and refugees. Uh, in, in deep blue is family reunification and new uh, spouse migration. Uh, and in pale uh, are people entering for purposes of work. And you see that in Australia, Switzerland, at that time, the UK, uh, uh, workers were, were predominant. Um, uh, in, in, in France, the United States, Sweden, uh, Denmark, um, uh, essentially fam family was dominant. In fact, in Sweden in 2003, only 3% of, of persons entering Sweden lawfully did so uh, for purposes of work. Uh, almost all the rest were either seeking asylum uh, or um, uh, as family members of one kind or another. Huge variation. 
over time. And this is just one example from France. It's impossible to, to present all the data from all the countries, um, not, not the least because it is not, not produced in comparable fashion. These are just some data from France, very much simplified in 2005. Um, showing the proportion of, of people entering France. This is, again, this is gross migration inflow only. We don't know what the, the, bat, the, the pattern or balance will be uh, for, for, for the net flow. Um, um, coming into France from the, the European economic area, that's the EU plus Switzerland and Norway, uh, one or two other countries, uh, and this is from outside Europe. Um, um, only 3% of those en entering um, France from EEA were, were, were students, uh, but 37% were workers. Uh, that's the, the single biggest category apart from other, which includes retired people and all sorts of other categories. Quite different from those entry from, from, from Europe, a quarter of, of those were students, only 5% were workers, half were family. Uh, and, and, and so you see the, the, this enormous uh, contrast uh, with, with about 80% of, uh, of the inflow coming from outside Europe and 20% coming from, uh, from inside Europe. That, that's not, not untypical, I think it's fair to say, of what goes on uh, in, in, in the rest of Europe. I just haven't had these data for, for France. This shows the, some of the, uh, the, the underlying um, possibilities for, for future flows. You see here uh, the most developed countries are, are in, are in uh, red. This is the United Nations projection from 1950 up to 2050. Almost, in global terms, almost no change. Um, this is the least developed countries, the, the, the poorest countries, where, where um, um, the problems of poverty are, are at their most acute, starting off in really quite modest levels in 1950s, so mostly African countries, but also uh, others, uh, um, uh, now up to approaching 2 billion, um, and of course um, likely to be, uh, these are the ones where the demographic transition is least advanced, and therefore where the numbers are going to increase most rapidly. As you can see, there's no sign of any tailing off in the rate of growth here. Uh, whereas in, uh, this is the world, uh, in, in the, in the uh, less developed world, excluding those, um, the, the, there's a, a stabilization going on, as, as we see in the reduction in the birth rate in China, in India, uh, and various other countries. The economic disparities which, <coughs> um, which help to drive migration uh, are certainly great um, and are, uh, are, or certainly were increasing at least up to the, the end of this graph. Um, this line here is the um, GDP per head uh, in US dollars for various European countries as France, uh, Italy, uh, Spain um, in, 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 and Germany in this group here. Down here um, is Turkey, Morocco, um, uh, Algeria and Egypt uh, showing growth but, but uh, uh, not catching up at all with what's going on uh, there despite improvements and progress. And here is a, a, a more focused example of the different difference in, in, in pattern of growth. The red line here is a population of the North African countries which, which send migrants to um, France and Italy particularly but also elsewhere showing that uh, they were about the same as, uh, as those in southern Europe. That's the blue line in, in, in 1990 um, and according to the United Nations um, are likely to diverge in this very remarkable fashion. Uh, the scale starts at 100 notice. It, it's not, this is not zero. That's 100 million. And something similar with, with, with Turkey. Um, 
<coughs> uh, the scale starts here at 20 million at the bottom, it's not, it's not zero. Uh, in, in 1950, um, uh, France, Italy and the UK had twice the population of Turkey by 2050, almost certainly because of population momentum, they will have half the population of Turkey and Turkey will have overtaken Germany on its way down. Um, which, which, has, which this is something which has some bearing upon the negotiations uh, to allow uh, Turkey to join the European Union, which in due course, of course, would mean a free movement of labour. What proportion of the world's population are immigrants? It has um, gone up, but, but not by all that much. The global proportion, as estimated by the United Nations, and you can imagine the problems of doing that, so don't put too much weight on it, uh, is this fat line in, in purple with, with the little squares around it. And as you can see, although it's been going up, um, it started off at about 2% or just over 2% in 1960. It's now gone up to just about 3%. That, of course, represents uh, quite a large increase in the total number of people. This represents um, getting on for uh, about 170 million people. Nonetheless, as a proportion of the world population, it's important to realize that it is not uh, great and is only increasing modestly. Surprisingly, perhaps, um, the, the pattern of, of, of population proportion in Latin America and in Asia uh, that are migrants has not been increasing very much. The, this is Latin America, uh, this is Asia. Um, these data are probably the, the least reliable of those on this graph. Nonetheless, that's what the data tell us insofar as there are any data. Um, the, the increase has been uh, in, in North America, which, which is here, which we know about, <coughs> and also in Europe. The European... Uh, graph, though, is exaggerated, and once again, I've got to revert to this tiresome topic of the unreliability of migration data. This big jump, which has been smoothed uh, by, by the graphing program, this big jump here is not uh, an unusually large upsurge of, of migrants into Europe. Instead, it arises out of the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, in in uh, 1991, uh, there were 25 million people living uh, in the non-Russian republics of the Soviet Union who had so-called Russian nationality. Um, this is an official category in, in Soviet terms, which, which is a kind of official ethnic origin label. Uh, and those individuals ha had Russian nationality. Suddenly, when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, uh, they became foreigners. They became foreigners instead of citizens uh, in Afghanistan, in, in, sorry, in, 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 in um, uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, uh, Ukraine, and Belarus. 25 million in all. Some went back, uh, so, some did not, but, but those were then counted as foreign, uh, and that's, that's why this, this graph jumps up. In fact, um, had the Soviet Union not collapsed, one might assume that the graph would, would be like this, going up, but not with, with this enormous uh, increase of a sudden kind. This is um, an example of, of, of long-term long migration. Uh, just to show how, how erratic migration can be. This is the trend of migration uh, to the United States. Again, this is inflow. There are no net uh, migration data from the U.S. Um, going back to 1820, it's one of the longest sequences, reasonably reliable data that we've got, um, as, uh, as you probably realize, increasing considerably, uh, um, uh, but, but in a very <coughs> erratic way as time went on. Um, also important to realize that the United States had a very restrictive policy on migration after 1922. Um, uh, not wishing to see the proportion of people of different origins uh, change beyond the census, that of the census of, I think, 1900. Uh, and that uh, brought it down to a very low level, which only gradually recovered until uh, the passage of legislation uh, in, in um, 
uh, in the 1960s facilitated this, this major increase to the present level, which is about uh, one million, roughly speaking, one million net, uh, oh, sorry, gross inflow uh, of, of legal migrants into the US with several hundred thousand uh, illegal migrants also. This huge spike here, yes, I'm sorry, another tedious example of, of, of misleading data. Um, this arises from the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986, whereby very large numbers of persons who had entered illegally were, were, were legalized. And they were then counted as immigrants in that year, even though they'd been in the U.S. for many years previously. So this, this spike is, is, is fake um, and, 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 and referred to migration back here, which is not counted. Uh, we'll see something like that later on. Um, this is net migration in, into the U.K. Um, um, from 1963, the first time that data are available, up, up to 2009. Um, um, the, the, the present level about net 240,000, about a quarter of a million extra people added per year um, as a result of international migration. Um, and this is that divided by citizens. These are um, um, U.K. citizens below in, in blue and in green, um, almost invariably negative, continuing the pattern of emigration from the UK, which has been going on ever since the 17th century or earlier, um, and the foreign citizens in red and in, and in orange, um, showing a very considerable increase up to about 300,000 net inflow per year. And this, this divide, and the need to have it in, in two different colours, is because there's a discontinuity in migration statistics uh, in 1991, which means they're, means they're not exactly parallel, or rather uh, comparable. Um, and this is just to show that the, the, the net immigration into the EU15 is roughly of the same magnitude as the gross inflow into the US. Uh, the EU15 here is in blue and black. Um, the persons accepted for settlement in the US, uh, the gross inflow is, is in red. Um, the EU, of course, has a bigger population than the US. Nonetheless, it's not the case that um, uh, the US is, is way ahead of Europe in terms of migration flows. It isn't <coughs> and probably won't be in the future. Also important to realize that migration can go down as well as up to reverse the usual financial services health warning. Uh, this is uh, migration in, into Germany from 1954 up to 2007. Um, enormous inflow around 1990 arising out of, um, partly out of the collapse of, of, of communism and, and the rise of uh, the inflows of persons of German origin, uh, Aussiedler, uh, into, uh, into Germany uh, arising out of the German basic law. Uh, also huge numbers of persons fleeing uh, from the collapse of Yugoslavia around that time. That's one of the reasons why this, this, this peaked at that time. Um, legal changes and the return of some kind of peace, Yugoslavia has let, uh, allowed that to decline. And migration to, to Germany has, uh, in some years, actually been negative. This is zero, uh, and, and here it is down, down below uh, uh, zero uh, in 2007. This is overall migration, net migration, um, for, for in Europe in 1997-2008. You can see in red the decline in, in migration uh, to, to Germany, which I just described in the previous slide. Um, the orange is, is that to the UK, showing the increase from, um, from, from the uh, 1990s up to the present time, uh, which I mentioned. These, of course, are overall numbers. Uh, looked at in percent, the pattern's somewhat different. Um, uh, the, the percentage levels of inflows into Switzerland and the Netherlands, for example, are, are very high, in, in some countries higher uh, than, than in Britain. Um, nonetheless, in, in, the growth flows are, sorry, the, the, the overall terms of, uh, in, in terms of people and not percent are, uh, as far as we know, like that. I left these two out of that graph because otherwise they're distorted the scale. 
These are extraordinary levels of migration uh, into Spain and Italy from uh, 1997 onwards. In the past, Spain and Italy sent migrants to other European countries. Spain and Italy were on the, the poorer fringe, especially southern Italy, uh, of, of the, um, the European industrial heartland. Lots of migrants uh, went from, from Spain and, and Italy, also Greece and Portugal, into uh, Germany, the Netherlands and, and, and France uh, in the 1960s and 70s uh, in order to work. Um, at the end of, of that period of time, the economy in those countries had grown so much that many of them went back. Uh, and, and so that there's a great outflow of workers from those countries, from the poor periphery into the richer core, uh, uh, stopped and was reversed. They were countries of emigration. All that turned round uh, in the 1990s. They become countries of immigration, particularly immigration from North Africa, uh, much of it uh, uncontrolled, uh, uh, informal, um, uh, irregular or illegal, depending on which, which adjective you prefer. Eventually, these huge inflows were recognized um, uh, progressively through amnesties in Italy, which is why the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, as more people were counted, uh, the, the numbers went up. That's uh, why this is Spain and this is Italy. Um, and and um, most of this huge increase, up to 600,000, is a result of people who were, um, who were previously not counted as having been in the country, uh, being recognized, naturalized, uh, put into the data, and therefore pushing up the numbers to this, this enormous level. It's, it's since gone down quite considerably. Uh, but that's, that's a whole order of magnitude different uh, from the, the, the inflows into the rest of Europe, almost as much as that moving into the U.S. for a few years. What are the consequences? Very considerable. Um, I'll skip that graph because I'm running out of time. First of all, uh, nowadays, compared with the number of births, net migration is very large indeed. It's no longer the, the statistical weak sister of demographic change. It is uh, the, 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 the paramount um, uh, agent in population dynamics. What matters here are the solid numbers in the right-hand column. You can ignore the rest. Uh, this, this shows the, um, number of, 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 uh, the number of net migration um, uh, into that country in respect to the number of births. Uh, and there were 44% more migrants into Spain in 2007 uh, than there were births. This is not comparing it with a natural increase, it's comparing it with births. So more people uh, were moving into Spain by migration than were born into Spain. About the same number in Switzerland and Italy, um, a sim uh, large numbers in Norway and Belgium, rather small numbers elsewhere. So uh, a very important component of, of, of population growth, uh, in, in the, uh, of population addition in those countries. In some countries, uh, facilitating further increase in numbers. In other countries, uh, slowing down or stopping or reversing population decline, which their low birth rates would otherwise have generated. In the UK, um, migration is projected by the Office of National Statistics have a very, very powerful effect upon population size. Here we are in 2008, at about 63 million people. Um, this blue line is the ONS central projection, their, 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 their basic idea about what's going to happen as a consequence of TFR remaining at 1.84 um, and migration uh, assumed to be net 180,000 per year and uh, mortality declining in some gradual fashion. Increasing, as you see, to uh, about uh, 77 million by mid-century and um, 86 million by 2081. 2081 is an awful long time in demography. Uh, uh, the one certain thing is that this will not happen in detail. The, but this is the implication of what will happen um, if the population continues in, in that pattern. Uh, 
And of course, we know now that, that uh, migration in the last few years has not been 180,000, it's not been this one, it's been about 240,000. That happens to be roughly the high migration estimate of, of uh, the ONS. Uh, and so this is what the population trajectory would be uh, were migration to remain in net terms at the present level and TFR to remain at 1.84. The moment is 1.95, in fact, so even, even higher than that. Um, I'm sure this will not come to pass, but it does show you rather powerfully what the implications of migration are and how important migration is compared with the natural increase. This is the, um, the natural change uh, uh, um, uh, projection showing uh, what would happen if there were no migration in or out. Some increase, as you see, thanks to population momentum, then returning to the present level by about 2061. Uh, all, all, all the rest of the increase is the direct and indirect consequences of international migration as projected. Same thing in Sweden. Age structure. This is a diagram from the EU showing in percentage terms the age distribution of migrants into the, U, in, into the EU compared with the settled population into the EU. It, it is not a diagram showing the relative size of the population, only the relative shapes of the population. It's very important to realize. These are the migrants. Uh, this is the settled population. And you can see um, that it, it looks as though migration... Um, will, will um, uh, rejuvenate population because it does not, for the most part, involve older people. Um, uh, migrants are moving in uh, roughly at sort of peak working age. This is, this is age uh, 25 here. Um, and therefore, uh, that should be a very considerable benefit to the potential workforce uh, and also should be a break on population ageing. Well, it certainly is a break on population ageing. And there was, about 15 years ago, a tremendous interest in the possibility of encouraging migration in order to stop population ageing, um, so-called replacement migration, um, uh, uh, which was provoked by a very interesting publication of the United Nations in, in, in the year 2000. You can't actually solve uh, population aging by migration. It's very important to, to realize, and that is now taken, uh, taken for granted uh, in all uh, learned publications, even though journalists and politicians occasionally uh, bring the idea up uh, from time to time. This is what would happen to the UK um, potential support ratio at different levels of migration. The, the black line is what would happen to it at the, what was then the level of migration of 95,000 uh, back in, in uh, um, 1998, I think it was. This is what would happen with a million migrants per year. As you see, it, it greatly increases it. It greatly improves the support ratio, the ratio of people of working age to people of retirement age for a while. But eventually it, it, it goes down and will eventually uh, 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 reach quite low levels. Um, this is just inevitable and is true of any population and any level of migration. Um, and this is the level of migration which you require in order to keep uh, that line at the 4.2 level which we saw before uh, in, in terms of, in terms of uh, um, the consequences of, of, of migration. Um, you would need increasing numbers of migration which would take the UK <coughs> population up to 100, 120 million by mid-century, 306 million by at the end of the century, and so on upwards uh, into the stratosphere. Um, it, it moderates ageing, it, it can't solve it, uh, nothing uh, can solve it. The economic arguments for, for large-scale migration um, have been well rehearsed over the last 15 years. Um, I have um, spent too much time on other topics to be able to, to deal with these even in, 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 in the simplest outline. Essentially, the case for it um, is for an increasing gross domestic product, which undoubtedly it does because that's a function of population, um, that it brings a, a tax benefit uh, over the w which is bigger than the welfare cost, um, that it's required for labor needs, and it does the natives no harm in terms of their 
employment or standard of living. Some of these things are true, some I think are not true. Um, Generally speaking, uh, lots of studies appear to show uh, A, that the fiscal effect is, is rather small and maybe negative, um, the, the, the balance between the, 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 the tax benefit of migration and, and the welfare costs of migration, that um, the result depends very much on where the migrants come from. Migrants from poor, country, from poor countries on the whole um, uh, generate a deficit, migrants from rich countries on the whole generate a surplus. Uh, and and the, the, the balance depends upon the balance of migration and various other things between those two major categories of person. I've put some, some examples here which you might want to follow up uh, later on. Labour migration, the, the case uh, I think is, is stronger. There, there are many um, frictional uh, processes and, uh, and shortages which, which uh, make people uh, find uh, labour migration uh, attractive or even essential for filling uh, unfilled vacancies. Uh, that can't be den denied. Nonetheless, um, uh, at the end of the day, we still find that uh, unemployment uh, is higher among first and second generation migrants in most European countries. Labour force participation rates are lower, particularly among women. Uh, among such persons, uh, and, and that, that has got to be, to be remembered. The, uh, the controversy rumbles on, uh, and the literature on it is, is very great, um, and the, the, some of my, some of my um, um, reading lists have got, have got references to that. There's a, a strategic problem in the sense that easy access uh, to labour, which naturally any sensible, self-respecting employer will, 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 want, will want to encourage, um, um, irrespective of, of origins, uh, may not be very good for the, for, for the conditions of life of poorer, um, badly educated people in the, in, in, in the receiving countries. This is one of the great um, centres of, of controversy at, at the present time. Um, and if there is a constant supply of labour, then uh, the, the awkward need to, to make semi employable uh, young people in, in, uh, in the rich countries who may have had a very bad education, may have a very bad work ethic, to make them into potential workers, it can be ignored because you, can, you don't need them, you can get them from overseas. Uh, and that is, a, a, I think, a, um, a, a, a kind of moral hazard or a political hazard of, of too easy access to overseas labour from, from, uh, for employers, however beneficial for them and for the migrants it may, it may be. Finally, um, continued um, uh, migration from one population to another, naturally, at the end of the day, particularly if the receiving population has below replacement uh, uh, levels of fertility, will replace one population with another. Uh, this is very difficult to, to, to avoid. This is what is happening at the present time. Um, this is a projection of the uh, uh, long-term ethnic change in the UK under different migration scenarios, showing the, the, the decline of the um, uh, projection of the, of the population of so-called white British uh, uh, origin. This, is, this, as you know, is, is one of these rather unpleasant, um, uh, awkward categorizations of people which people are invited to label themselves with in the census and in a wide variety of other uh, national government and local government inquiries. And th this, this shows the, the, the trend downwards. Um, this is the trend upwards in um, a number of different projections made by various um, uh, European statistical offices showing the percentage of people of, of, of foreign origin in European countries going up from uh, between um, 8 and, and 18 percent at the present time in various European countries up to uh, 20 or 30 percent by mid-century, assuming, uh, like the previous projection, that migration rates remain as they are. So very considerable ethnic change likely to take place has already indeed happening. Uh, happened where 25% of births in Britain, Germany and France are to uh, persons, women uh, born abroad. So, some conclusions. I'm sorry to have not lived up to my expectation of ending at, at, at 5 two.
Migration is a very, very heterogeneous uh, uh, process. Uh, this makes theory difficult, it makes data difficult, uh, and puts into a slightly different category from births and deaths. Um, now the primary driver of population change in, in, in developed countries uh, and is, is stopping population decline in some countries and, and greatly accelerating it in others like Britain, uh, like the US, uh, like, like, uh, like Sweden. Some countries still have very modest levels of migration despite being very rich in the developed world. Japan, for example, is, has been resistant to migration, although many say that it, it needs it in view of its very low birth rate and its increasing labor shortages. Um, the, the economic consequences are mixed and controversial. Um, uh, its demographic consequences are that it can moderate but certainly can't solve any more than can high fertility, population aging. But it does, if continuing at the present time, will lead to a very substantial transformation of population in terms of origin of a permanent kind. Thank you.